Welcome to Spark, careers in agribusiness, where we meet the most accomplished leaders in agribusiness today. Learn how each of the women and men featured has built leadership into their life's work and what advice they have for young people just beginning their careers. Your host for Spark is Sarah Stever, president at Paulson. Hello everyone and welcome to this episode of Spark. Spark is mobile today and we are in the offices of Kinsey Manufacturing in Williamsburg, Iowa. Today we're going to talk to Susie Kinzenbaugh Beach, who is President and Chief Marketing Officer here at Kinsey. Susie is second generation leadership at Kinsey, um, so her story is going to be one of entrepreneurship, business savvy, and marketing. And it is a fascinating family story also, so let's dive in and meet Susie. Thank Welcome, you. Susie. Thanks for having me. I appreciate it. Yeah, thanks for doing this. Thanks for spending your time talking to our audience. We sure appreciate that. To start out, can you tell us a little bit about where you're at right now, what your role is like, and a little bit about Kinsey? Sure. By title, it's President and Chief Marketing Officer, and what that means is my responsibilities are over the sales and marketing department, but also um, I work closely with our executive team and our executive vice president on the day-to-day happenings, you know, things I need to be involved with as a family member um, in the day-to-day activities. My dad is still involved in the business. Engineering is his first love, and he usually, if he's around, he'll get out here at least once a day, check things out. But he's stepped back and is no longer involved in the day-to-day. We, of course, involve him when we have major decisions. Uh, he comes in every Tuesday for our executive team meetings. As far as the day-to-day, that, that was never his favorite anyway and and that's something that I'm good at and and uh, I enjoy being a part of so so you complement each other yeah we complement each other and and my role obviously has a lot of variety given all those things oh yeah I'm sure no day is typical yeah yeah they're they're usually no two days are the same how would you describe a really good day for you what would be like today was awesome a really good day is you know when um, you know, maybe there's a project we're working on that, that came together, a product we're working on that came together, a, a business opportunity. It always involves us working together as a team, you know, setting out to accomplish something. And it, it's fun when you set out to accomplish something and you can do it. And collectively as a team, we can say, yes, we did that and, and we did it well and we can be excited about it. Nice. So how big is your leadership team? The executive team would be nine or ten people, okay. I believe. That's a big team. Yeah, yeah, and they each of them are responsible for typically a departmental area, whether it's operations or HR or IT, kind of our functional departments. We've got one executive member responsible for each. Okay. And then we have an executive vice president who is also responsible for our Kinsey Europe operations as well as some of the executives here at Kinsey too. So it takes all of us working together to make it happen. Yeah, especially as a global company. Yeah. Can you talk a, a little bit about your core values? Because I know that that's something that's really important to you. Yeah, those core values are, and we define them as defining our culture. Whether a person's coming here to interview for a job, whether they're coming to tour and visit, it, whether they're a supplier doing business with us or a dealer doing business with us, they should see Kinsey employees exhibiting those five core values, integrity, excellence, customer focus, mutual respect, and innovation. Probably 15 years ago, our executive vice president, he'd been with our company several years, and he told my parents, he said, you know, I've always felt that environmentally there there's a way about Kinsey and a way about the people that 
you know, is very inviting and refreshing and that, you know, is what drew me here to Kinsey. But he said, I've never seen that defined anywhere. And he said, it would be great if you guys could work to define what are those values that you started the company with and that, that have made Kinsey who it is today. At the time, um, they used to take a lot of motorhome road trips across the country. And they were taking a motorhome trip down to Florida. And so he tasked them with, you know, when you guys come back from that trip, I'd really like to see a draft of those core values. So my dad drove and my mom wrote. And uh, <laughs> they, they talked, you know, most of the way down there. But they did come back with those definitions. So those five values and then a definition of what they mean. You know, I think that's one thing, too, that makes Kinsey what it is today. You know, obviously we've got great people. And, and having those great people and the great culture is very important, you know, so there's the consistency and, and the values that people believe in and, and that they believe that they are a part of and, and champion them. So let's talk a little bit about your early childhood and growing up and you, you know, obviously this is a family legacy and so your story I'm sure is going to involve a lot of that. I think it's really interesting that you did not necessarily always work here, but you did end up coming back. Can you tell us about growing up? So it was fun growing up and especially uh, with a dad like the dad that I have, he's always very creative and, you know, always building things for us or doing, so, you know, something that, that as a kid involved just, wow, it's an exciting new toy or exciting new something to do with. And then my mom was always the one that was the great nurturer and kind of kept the, the constant for our family because my dad was always doing and busy and he'd always include us as a family, but, you know, obviously running a company is very demanding and to have both of our parents that were very much involved with us as a family and, and in our growing up was really important and obviously made us who we are as adults today. Looking back at, at growing up, it was always interesting. Kinsey was just part of our lives and it we never knew anything else. You know, if we would go on a family vacation, my dad would take the at the time, as a three-ring binder with a map of where all of our dealers were, and whenever we were in a, you know, <laughs> a sure. city near a dealer, we'd drive and visit that dealer. We'd go to farm shows as a family. As the business was evolving and growing, my dad was always very hands-on with it. You know, as far as he'd be out in the bulldozer moving dirt for the next building that would go up. He would always take us to ride along with him. You know, if it was. It, of course, if we weren't, you know, if we were in school, we uh, were in school, but on the weekends or in the evenings, if he'd come back out to the office um, or if he was farming, we'd always love to ride in the tractor or the bulldozer, R really anything that moves, we'd just spend hours riding with him. Or he'd often come out and be working in the evening in the proto shop alongside the proto shop guys, you know, working on the next new project. And so we'd often come out and just entertain ourselves, you know, we were waiting on dad to to do his work, hanging out here. So it was fun growing up in that type of family with the business that we had. You know, obviously it, it was demanding from the standpoint that you can't have a business and be half involved in it. You either have to be fully committed and fully involved or, or not, you know, to be successful. Growing up, it just seemed like everything we did, there was something that involved the business or uh, my parents were always very hospitable. My mom loves to cook and uh, entertain people. And so growing up, too, if we had employees like our district sales managers who live out of state and they would come in once or twice a year, you know, she'd often cook a meal and we'd we'd uh, have a meal at the house with them, you know. So, um, so that, yeah, it was just, it was interesting growing up and, and having the business ingrained within us, you know. And I think, too, 
that's what created the passion for the company for me because I always love being involved and um, you know I, I remember too as I got into my teenage years and in the summer months when we were off school of course uh, those weekly executive meetings different times my dad would let me come out with him and just sit really? in on those meetings and I just I always thought that was really great stuff to be able to sit in you know with the table of execs and and of course you know here at Kinsey we've never been big on titles you know it, obviously you have to have the hierarchy of titles but uh, part of our culture too is those that we hire are are those that are great leaders you know servant leaders that they don't hesitate to roll up their sleeves and dig in and do the dirty work with their employees it's not you go do this I don't want to do that it's I'll be right here alongside you doing the dirty work if it makes so sense there's that you know. thread of mutual respect absolutely that you talk about yeah, yeah absolutely so and and uh, you know my dad has a great sense of humor and most of our executive team, many of our employees here. So it's always just fun to be around our people and, and so many having a great sense of humor. And that's what I remember too, growing up and being involved in those meetings is they weren't, um, you know, yes, there's the meeting aspects that you have to have, but throughout there'd always be something funny that would happen that would have them all laughing. And, you know, you could just always sense the camaraderie amongst the team. So I always enjoyed being involved at that level uh, growing up, and, and that's really what got me to thinking, you know, this might be something that I want to do mm-hmm. eventually. Um, but my dad also said, you know, if, if either my brother or I wanted to come back to the business, we needed to go be successful elsewhere first. And oh, I really go. appreciate that, and I know our employees do too, because it would have been really easy to just go get the college degree and come immediately back to the family business. And for me, going to work for Caterpillar out of college mm-hmm. was a great experience. You know, obviously, huge company, multi-billion dollar company, at the time, 70,000 plus employees. So it was great to see the really large side of business for me. Um, and while they're a great company, there were things there that solidified why I appreciate Kinsey and who we are as a, as a people, as a culture, and, and, and what we do it just gave me that much more appreciation than to come back into the business and really, you know, things that it's easy to take for granted, I think, when you're too close to it. Sure. And then when you take a step back and realize, you know, that this isn't, everywhere isn't like this. You know, we really are very unique in, in who we are as a company. And, of course, you know, I interned at a number of other Iowa-based companies in college as well, you know, in the summer months when I was off. So it was just good to see other other companies and how they're run, how they're managed, and um, you know, learn about how different products are brought to market. So it was a great experience for me, and then ultimately led to, you know, knowing that one day I wanted to come back here and be a part of this company. So when you were trying to decide which school to go to and what what degree to get, did you were you thinking about coming back the whole time? Like this either plays to my strengths or this is something the company is going to need in the future, and that's. How did you arrive at that decision? Um, yeah, I think I always had that in the back of my mind that that would be a, a possibility. Um, and, you know, something that I really appreciate from my mom is, both my parents, but her especially, she said, go get a degree that's marketable. And and that's one thing. Too many kids today just go see colleges. I'm going to check the box. I'm going to take whatever's the easiest major. Um, or it might be something I'm interested in, but 
I haven't really thought about, okay, well, I have this degree, but then what do I do with it? Can, is it marketable? Can I get a job? And, you know, can I support myself or my family with that job? And, and so often I think there, there's a lot of short-sightedness on, well, I'm just going to go to college and it doesn't really matter what degree I get. And then I think sometimes young people regret, you know, I wish someone would have guided me through and I really would have thought about what happens after college. And that, that's one thing that my mom was just constantly um, reading up on, you know, what are the majors that are very marketable, even within business. You know, business, there's a lot of different paths you can take. And uh, she was always reading, you know, what are the, what are the ones that are uh, the most marketable. And not to force me into something I didn't like, but to say, hey, you know, as you look at opportunities, and business was something that interested me, look at the ones that that are employable, especially knowing I'm going to go out and get some other experience and then, you know, one day maybe come back or maybe not, you know, and, and I want to have something either way that I can make a career out of. So, um, so you know, my dad did not go to college. He just had a God-given knack for being a great problem solver and coming up with innovative solutions. My mom went to Iowa State. She was a home ec teacher. Uh, graduated and, and taught here locally with that and uh, around the time my parents got married and then as my dad got into business she really saw a gap you know as the welding shop business started to take off and the business started to grow there's really no one focused on the accounting piece of it and she was always one that was a real stickler for you know we got to have really crisp books and have everything detailed out and uh, so she went back and took some courses, and then for many years she did a lot of the bookkeeping here wow. as Kinsey grew. So, right. you know, so her getting involved in the business side later, too, you know, she pursued her passion for teaching, which was centered around her love for cooking and entertaining, um, and then realized that, you know, the, her... Uh, given where she was in life, it made more sense to get some accounting background, um, you know, to be able to help with the business. So she was always one that recognized the value of you, you really need to be thinking long term, what are you going to do with the degree that you get? And uh, she had a just a great time up at Iowa State, really loved her years there. And um, when I was in high school, we had season basketball tickets and we went to some football games. So I, I always just love the campus and, you know, how pretty it is up at Iowa State. And of course, they're, they're great in business. And, um, you know, it was a little about probably an hour and a half from home. So it wasn't right next door to home. So I felt like I had a little bit of an away college experience, but yet it was close enough to home that I could come home on the weekends. So, um, so I started out at a small Christian school up in the Twin Cities because I came out of a small high school, mm -hmm. and I knew diving into Iowa State right away would be too large, and, and they had a really good business program. Um, so I went to Northwestern, and then after two years transferred down to Iowa State. But I went there knowing that more than likely I would finish at Iowa State, um, which is what I did, and I'm really glad that, that I went to Iowa State because I felt like I got you know great education there. and. I uh, just enjoyed the time that I was there. So what was your role at Caterpillar like? Yeah, it was kind of interesting because um, it was in the IT end of the business, uh, hmm. which is something that, you know, I, I didn't think early on, oh, I want to go into IT. But that was a major at the time that was very marketable and something that interested me. Um, and then I ended up double majoring in finance, too, because 
losing some credits with my transfer. Mm -hmm. And so rather than just take random courses, I thought, well, I'll just put that towards a double major in business. So I ended up in uh, the IT department of their Aurora manufacturing plant that at the time made all their wheel loaders and excavators here in the States. And um, so that, and, and I enjoyed that, but I also realized that staying and doing IT was not my passion long term. And one, you know, as with anything with technology, it's ever changing. And mm -hmm. so you have to constantly stay on top of it, constantly learn new things. And um, I enjoy learning new things, but not at that level of detail that was required for keeping up with it over the long term. So, so it was great getting my feet wet on the business side with that. But, you know, then I ultimately realized that that's not, that's not what I want to specialize in long term, no matter what I do, you know. So I was there for four years and then uh, after, and that coincided with I had gotten married before or after graduating from Iowa State and then we moved into the Chicago suburbs because my husband was in optometry school. Mm -hmm. And so I worked for Caterpillar in their Aurora facility uh, all those years, and then he graduated four years later. So, you know, we knew at that time that either we were going to stay in there or move back home, and, and we enjoyed our time in Chicago, but uh, it's a whole different pace of life. I'll and say. so we knew, yeah, <laughs> we knew that difference. ultimately we didn't want to have a family and, and live that far away from each of our families because we're both from about 30 miles apart here oh, nice. is where both of our our parents uh, live so um, so yeah that's that's how I got to Caterpillar then and then when we made the decision to move back it made sense to come back and get involved in the company. Well as important as technology is to Kinsey I would imagine what you learned in the IT world was probably pretty applicable in some mm -hmm. ways. I'm sure yeah for sure. Yeah, and, and even in the courses that I took, having the understanding of software programming and how electronics are programmed because uh, you know, that's now something new that we're doing. We just announced our new Blue Vantage, Kinsey Electronics, and Blue Drive, all homegrown now. So we've brought that in-house, and we make the, uh, the, the tablet that sits in the cab and runs all the planner functionality and we program the software and we create the hardware that goes with it. And so, yes, yeah, so having that core foundational background help with understanding how it all comes together and what's required to make it, make it work and the importance of, you know, why it needs to work and work well. And, um, you so, guys even talk about just working to make the interface very simplistic so yes. it's easy to use and how yeah. important that is. User that, adoption is yeah, a huge Yeah, that, that was our goal. Deal. And that, that's another thing that's been interesting, too, because, um, you know, growing up with my parents and even as I grew up, I think it was seventh grade when they would start kids my age on the computer. Like my first computer course, I believe, was around seventh grade. Well, now... Now yeah, my three-year-old yeah, at home three old. <laughs> knows how to operate my phone and, you know, get into yeah. to apps. Kind of scary how quickly they learn. But, yeah. um, you know, nowadays kids grow up with that. But my generation didn't start till about seventh grade. And then my parents' generation, they didn't grow up with technology. So for them, it's been much harder to learn. And many of our farmer base are similar age demographic to my parents where, you know, they understand the importance and the value of technology, but it's very frustrating to them especially when it doesn't work. And, you know, my dad, he's very gifted at fixing anything mechanically, but if something electronically 
doesn't work, it, it's very frustrating because he doesn't know how to get in the guts of it and yep. fix it fix and it. make it work. Yeah. And, uh, you know, he even talked about they had a motorhome one time that had auto-leveling jacks, and he he could not find a manual override to, to bring them up. It malfunctioned, and they were literally stuck in <laughs> North or South Dakota, wherever they were. Oh, no. And he was on the phone with tech support, and he was just so frustrated because he said, you know, the motorhome he'd had previously, he knew right where the manual override was to get those jacks up and then he didn't have to worry about it but this literally had him stranded so you know it's just frustrating in the same way and that that was an inconvenience on a vacation to a farmer it's his livelihood at stake yeah, you know when something malfunctions and, and time yeah. is money every every yeah. minute they're down so yeah so we set out with this has to be a very user-friendly and easy to set up uh, electronic system for the farmer and and we just found as we've looked at other things on the market there's just nothing that's that's simple. I mean, there's some great systems, but nothing that's as simple as what we have put together from a from a setup. You know, three clicks to plant, and then the user interface on the screen where it's got everything they need at a glance, and they can go to a different screen if they need lesser used features. But that came too from a lot of focus groups and a lot of studying and understanding from farmers. What do you like? What do you dislike? And farmers can't always tell you what they like. They can always tell you, I don't like this. And so sometimes you have to back into it a little bit, knowing what they don't like and what frustrates them, and then say, okay, does this solve that problem or that frustration? So, yeah, so that came from many years of really studying and understanding. And, again, going back to that core value of customer focus, you have to know what the customer wants in order to deliver the right solution. Absolutely. And I would say from... The audience, our audience perspective, the idea that you were you've been building on all these experiences and bringing them back to Kinsey, and I think that's something that's core to our audience. All those experiences you have, mm-hmm. even even when you're in high school getting started, mm-hmm. and certainly when you're in college and those internships that you get, mm-hmm. those all build up to that. You know, ultimately the direction you end up going. Yeah, absolutely. So, can you maybe talk about any? time you've had a big challenge or something that that you've been able to overcome any experiences that were seemingly insurmountable and you just worked your way through it mm-hmm. yeah I, I mean I think that goes with anything in life particularly in business you know as, as we all know you face challenges and um, we've certainly had our share of, of challenges um, and you know ultimately um, the, the challenges we face in the electronics world is what led us to bringing that in-house because what we would find is by using third parties and, and we use different groups over the years is um, third parties are great in that they typically do a lot of different things that brings experience to the table and, and adds value but the downside is many of them aren't ag-based they, they haven't grown up on a farm they don't understand that when a planter is down, it's not like your motorhome being stuck in South Dakota with the jacks down and, you know, ruining a family vacation. Again, that livelihood factor mm-hmm. of time is money and every minute counts, and you can't just say, okay, if there's a bug in the software or an issue going on, you can't sit and wait and say, well, I'll work on this a few days. You know, it's it's we got to resolve now what's what's happening. And so, what we were finding is by using third parties that didn't always understand the product and the end result. And then also uh, using ISOBUS. You know, ISOBUS was supposed to be the the greatest thing five years ago, and farmers thought that's what they had to have, that's what they wanted. 
And in theory, it sounds great. In reality, it, it doesn't work uh, as it should from the standpoint that, you know, when you think about it, it is two competitors trying to talk to each other's product. What motivation is there for two competitors to work together, <laughs> you know, to make something seamless? Yeah. Really none, you know. So, um, and, and then to the farmer, it feels like there's finger pointing because, you know, if, if an update is made to brand X software and, and now that creates some functionality issues with the Kinsey planner, ultimately they think, well, it's got to be the planner, right? And, and, and if it's something that um, we don't have control over, you know, on the, the other side, it just, and, and the enormous amount of testing that you have to do to make sure software works with every brand. So we just were finding that um, the complexity it, it just, it, it, and, and as the farmer was realizing the complexity that came with that too, over time they started shifting saying, you know what, I just want the, that monitor that always works and that, you know, is hassle-free. Um, and so again, back to your original question. So we had some challenges with that and ultimately some challenges that led us to say, okay, we're, we're tired of not being in control of this because it's our brand and our image at stake. And, you know, obviously we can't say, well, it was company XYZ that programmed this thing, you know, so we have to take full accountability because it's our product ultimately. And so we said, you know what, we're going to bring it in-house and do it, do it the absolutely best it can be. We're going to hire the best and the brightest minds, you know, to, to come in and make this state-of-the-art and next-generation uh, software. And it's got some neat features that no one else has. You know, one, Ethernet communication, that's not been on a planter to date. And the advantage of that is the speed of communication because when you think about a large planner, take a 24-row planner, there's a lot of communication going on row to row. And so if you have a very small pipe that your, that your data can go through, it's not going to go as fast. But if you have a very large pipe that can handle large, almost infinite amounts of data, the communication is going to be instantaneous and, and obviously for a farmer he wants that instant feedback yeah. in the tractor he doesn't want to know what happened you know two minutes ago well now I'm already past that spot and am I going to have a gap or is something going on you know with how the seeds going in the ground so it has to be instant it has to be accurate um, so that's one thing that we're really excited about with this too and so again we got a great opportunity from a challenge that arose of the frustration of not being in control of it. Similar situation with our hydraulic cylinders about 20, 25 years ago, our number one warranty claim was hydraulic cylinders. And we worked with various suppliers to try to get it right. Again, they didn't understand, okay, if a cylinder isn't working right out in the field, that planner is down potentially and time is money. And so we worked and worked and finally my dad said enough. You know, it, we want to be in control, we're bringing it in-house, we're making our own. And that's why, you know, if you do a factory tour today, you'll see we make our own hydraulic cylinders, and we took the claims down to nearly zero, and, and it's been that mm. way ever since. Wow. So we're very much, and, and that's part of being an entrepreneurial company, we're very much about do it yourself if you feel you can do it better. Now, obviously, there's times to partner with others when it makes sense, um, but there's also the time that you just say, you know what, we're going to be in control of our destiny and we're going to do it ourselves.
Well, it's certainly served you guys well, and it seems like it goes back to a lot of your core commitment and core values. You've had great mentors in your life with your parents, mm-hmm. both your mom and your dad. You've talked about, was there anybody else in your life that's been either a mentor for you or who's inspired you or helped you over a rough spot? I've had a number of um, mentors, you know, various teachers along the way, teachers in college, professors, of course, that um, took the time to really get involved and show they cared and they were passionate about learning and make learning fun. You know, it might have been a challenging subject. You know, I can remember several, particularly in college, and one of the things that I learned, and again, I think from the background I grew up with, is don't ever give up. If there's an issue, go figure it out. Don't just sit back and say, woe is me, and forget it. I'm not going to even try. So if I had something that was particularly challenging, I would go find a professor during their open, many of them have open office hours, and say, hey, can you help me better understand this and explain it one-on-one? Um, so over the years, there was a number of teachers and professors like that that always took extra time you know, to explain or, or bring something to light. And then all you need is somebody to do that, and all of a sudden you get it, and you say, wow, that this puts it in a whole new perspective. Getting into the business world, I can think of a couple of different individuals. One in particular that we worked with early on when I came back to the company here, Um, that did some consulting for us and she did a lot with leadership training and she was the first one that I really sat through formalized leadership training with you know obviously grew up in a family business but they don't in in college they don't teach you leadership courses and that's that's something that's a shame for the business world that colleges don't tie in a little bit more to businesses and help young people Mm -hmm. know what does it mean to be a leader and, and how do I be an effective leader? Because every person that manages people has to start with, this is my first time, right? Mm-hmm. You know, and so you get thrown into the fire and all of a sudden now you're managing people. Okay, well, I've never managed people before. What does that mean? And what am I supposed to do? How am I supposed to behave? So I, I worked with her and she was a great teacher on, you know, helping understand what are the attributes of a leader and Um, how a leader manages people fairly, you know, in in that if you let people get away with things and walk all over you, uh, especially people that, you know, maybe they're not completely committed to what they do, and maybe their job engagement is just so-so. And if you let them just continue to plod along with not being fully engaged, that demotivates your top performers. And they start saying, well, why should I work so hard? Because if that person gets rewarded in the same way I do, now I'm feeling demotivated because I'm really putting in full effort. Now, fortunately, most employees are the latter, where mm-hmm. they're all about putting in full effort. Um, but, you know, over the years, we've had those, and it's usually the 1%, but you, you usually have one periodically where that is. And so understanding how do you effectively motivate people, how do you manage people through when they're not engaged, and how to inspire them to, to want to do a good job. And, and a lot of that is really uh, getting people engaged and making them feel involved and sharing their ideas. You know, because if a, if a leader comes in and is very dictatorial and says, you know, Sarah, I want you to do this, 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 and then you come back and tell me when that's done and I'll give you three more things to do. I mean, that doesn't inspire anybody. And that's not leadership. You know, that's just a dictator with someone that's their helper to go get whatever they need. This individual really helped me understand 
um, again, what's a good leader look like? What's a bad leader look like? Because I had seen my share of bad leaders at my time at Caterpillar, but I, I didn't really, other than knowing, okay, I know that I'm person is that. not a good leader. <laughs> I don't want to be yeah. that way, yeah. but I didn't really understand, you know, it, it's easy when you're an employee to get in the, you know, because other employees will talk and they'll get frustrated by someone that's demotivating, but I, I really hadn't taken that step back to say, okay, why does that person behave that way? Because most people don't want to be a bad leader or a dictatorial leader or demotivate their people, but a lot of it is they've never been shown leadership, so they don't. it's all they know. There was one guy in particular that uh, just the people didn't like him as a manager, and the term micromanager gets thrown around. It's, it's one of those that can be misdefined, but in the sense of he was just always breathing over their shoulders and every 15 minutes they had to report out what they were working on. It was just very demotivating to them. You know, at the time I remember thinking, well, I would never want to work for him nor would I want to be that type of leader. But then after you go through some leadership training and you realize, okay, why is that person behaving that way? Well, maybe it's because they've had someone that, they've had some team members that dropped the ball on something that, you know, they got in trouble with their supervisor with or they don't know how to clearly define expectations of a project up front, or maybe they're insecure about their capabilities. You know, usually there's something foundational causing that, that, you know, often if someone has the right person leading them through that, it can be transitioned into being a great leader. That was very timely early on for me to understand uh, kind of the psychology and, and the mechanics behind leadership and how you define it and how you behave and and knowing too that as an owner you're at a whole different level because it's not just I'm a manager of these direct reports but you know now I'm being looked at as the person running the company and so it's a little bit like the the fish in the fishbowl oh, yeah. you know all it's, it's glass all the way around mm -hmm. all eyes are on <laughs> you and and everybody yeah. is analyzing and, and trying to critique and understand uh, your motives and your actions and every word, uh, every and word. And, yeah and yeah. you know I, I do have to say when I came to the company um, I you know was very passionate about the company but I'd never been in a management role before you know at Caterpillar I wasn't in a management role and um, you know early on uh, probably in my enthusiasm to you know get things done and I, I'm very much a, okay if this needs to be done, let's take the bull by the horns, get it done. And, um, you know, I lived and breathed here. And, of course, I put in many, many hours. And, um, you know, my husband has his own optometry practice, so he put in hours, and we didn't have kids at the time. So we worked a lot during the week. And, and uh, you know, and then on the weekends, um, I would work some remotely to catch up on stuff. So I put in a lot of hours, and, and I didn't have a healthy uh, at the time, work-life uh, balance, I guess I would say. And I think, too, you know, my expectation was, well, everybody should have the same, that same mm -hmm. <laughs> mindset as I do, you know. And, and again, many of our people do and put in the hours, but I, I had some unrealistic expectations on myself and then, therefore, on others. And, and some of that just comes, too, with maturity and growth you know, and, and then Children. obviously having kids <laughs> having and realizing, kids. you know, yeah. what's really important in life is, and, and, you know, that's, that's one thing I've said too, is it's, it's family first, you know, if there's a family crisis or issue, obviously 
then you know we we tell employees go go be with your family we we had a situation recently with a farm show and uh, one of our sales guys son was hospitalized and he lived three hours away and he was supposed to be at the show all week and uh, you know he was obviously really wanting to be with his family and I said you shouldn't even be questioning that go don't worry about us we'll figure it out you go be with your son and your wife and you know he's obviously in the hospital you need to be with your family first and, and again that's um, part of who we are as a company so now having a family of my own and and you really start to learn balance and priorities mm -hmm. and uh, but at the same time, you know, to be involved in leading a business, it, it, again, it can't be a half effort. you got to be either all in. But um, I've had to learn to create some boundaries, too, so, I've just, so it's not all about my work life. Yeah, I think you're, you're right about children helping you understand that. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> for sure. Very similar experience with that. So um, let's maybe talk about what you think some great advice would be for young women coming up and trying to decide where to go to school and trying mm -hmm. to decide what to do with their lives. First, you know, really assessing what are you good at. If uh, you're not good at math, probably shouldn't pursue engineering. Obviously, you know, I've heard my dad say over the years, there's people that are naturally gifted. You know, you look at musicians where it's just obvious. I mean, that's not something that was ever trained in them. It's just a natural God-given ability that they're musically talented. So understanding what are your what are your passions and what are you good at? And then understanding um, what occupations you know tie in with that because something that that has saddened me over the years, you know, we obviously interview a lot of people, lots and lots of people and we do a lot of uh, internships particularly on the engineering side of the business. Um, we do hire a fair amount of young people right out of college. So part of our interview process for our professional staff, we use an assessment tool called the Caliper. And the Caliper is, it's, it's really, it's not a right or wrong answer, but it, it creates a profile of how a person is wired, their strengths and, and their weaknesses. And so then what we do is, is we look at, you know, what we've observed on the interview process and look at the job description and so um, you know if, if someone is applying for a management role and the caliper says you know this person doesn't like conflict this person doesn't like uh, you know to, to have to deal with tough situations with people we sit there and say are we putting a square peg in a round hole so we'll I remember very clearly when we first started using this tool 10 or 12 years ago um, we brought it into the interview and we said to this individual they were interviewing for a management role and we said, you know, as we've been doing this interview with you, as we're looking at your caliper, one of the things your caliper says is this, you don't like conflict. And obviously, you know, management isn't about conflict, but you're going to have it along the way. And especially with holding people accountable, that's going to arise. And we're concerned, is this the right job for you? Because if it's not, it's going to be an energy drain on you and you're not going to be happy. And it was just, I, I've never seen another example like this, but it was almost like the light bulb turned on with this guy and he's like, you know, you're absolutely right. He said, um, I've always, you know, been into titles, but I've never really been happy managing people. And you're right, I really should pursue a job that does not involve managing people because I don't like that side of it and it really drains me. So, you know, back to your original question, so often it seems like uh, people get, for whatever reason, whether they're, they're pursuing money or whether someone in their life has said, you need to pursue career X, Y, Z, and that's really not maybe what they were passionate about, 
um, or they really didn't know, so they just pursued that because that was the only thing they knew to pursue. And then, like we spoke earlier on here, they, they got out of college and now they realize they're not marketable because their degree isn't specific enough you know, for, for a good uh, career and whatever they graduated in, or they're, they're pursuing a path that really isn't how they're wired. So my advice would be really understand what what are you passionate about? And that's a hard thing because even even I didn't necessarily know that when I was in high school. And I think so often high school guidance counselors are ill-equipped to know how you spot different character traits in students and based on what they see in them, really guiding them towards, you know, I see these attributes in you. I, I think you ought to investigate these sorts of things. And, and, you know, you can take, there's different career assessments, but often they come out with something crazy where you say, I don't even know what that is or I don't even have an interest in in that. So I, I think a combination of just getting ha having probably the people closest to you that know you the best and say, hey, you know, can what do you think I'm really good at and, and what do you think that would translate into career-wise? Because the other thing, too, you know, back to the time in high school, I mean, okay, I, I knew we had a family business, but... I couldn't sit and tell you a breakout of, okay, here's what people in engineering do. I mean, I knew, yeah, engineering design product, but that's about it, you know. Um, here, here's what a career in IT looks like. Here's what a career in engineering looks like. And here's the different facets or different uh, paths you can go down. And, you know, if there would have been someone that, again, had I known the right questions to ask, and they would have said, well, you know what, here's what these mean. And, of course, you know, hindsight's always twenty twenty. Now that I know that I'm here in the business um, and doing what I'm doing, I would probably, if I had to go back and rewind, I'd probably say, you know, I, I probably should have done something in business more around the marketing path or uh, production operations management. Um, you know, again, with, with the manufacturing that we do here, just because that's, more of what I truly do today. Now, obviously, college coursework is just the almost the foundation and the ticket to get in the door, but it doesn't teach you the real-life practical job training that you need on the job. You know, a lot of kids are just thrown into the fire either through an internship or that first job, you know, out of college. Um, but so, yeah, I, I think um, having probably those closest to you and, and asking a lot of questions and saying, okay, if I'm going to be an engineer, what does that really mean? And um, what's, uh, what's a day look like? And I know um, another thing that my mom um, encouraged me to do even back then is my parents never wanted to push me into business. So I was always very good at English and writing. And that was always something I scored really high on, on the various, like, Iowa Tests of Basic Skills, I think they call it. And my mom said, you know, you're inquisitive and you're great with writing and, and speaking. Maybe you want to do something in the, in the journalism world. And we, my dad had a cousin that was a reporter in Cedar Rapids. And so I spent a day just job shadowing him. So what I appreciate about that is, you know, I knew that after a day that that's not what I wanted to do. It was an interesting day. But getting a snapshot of something outside of the world I knew, mm -hmm. you know, because I didn't know anything about journalism and had grown up in the business and obviously I'd worked in the business you know from the time I was 14 and could legally work um, in the business so uh, that's another great thing to do is is find somebody that you can shadow for a day or half a day you know and, and just because sometimes even even that gives you enough of a glimpse to say 
yeah, that's not really what I thought it was, or, hmm, yeah, this is really interesting, I want to know more, and then that can help guide, you know, what, what coursework should I be taking in you college. Know, that's a great point, because often you really don't even know what questions to begin mm-hmm. asking, and so to just find, seek out people that, mm-hmm. are, uh, that are willing to let you do that. It's yeah. a great way to actually understand what it's like. Yeah, right yeah, and, and I think, too, having a strong work ethic and an inquisitive mind ask questions, you know. So taking advantage of every opportunity, not just going through the motions because, oh, this is something to do, but, okay, I'm going to make the most of this opportunity, whether it's shadowing this person or this internship, to really glean all I can. And, you know, because sometimes kids, too, they'll do their first internship you know, after their freshman or sophomore year of college, and, and that will cause them to redirect something because they realize that maybe the path they're pursuing wasn't quite what they thought it was. Um, but that's a little too late to be figuring that out, and then that can often mean the fifth year, yeah, the fifth of, year. <laughs> of college, which obviously that, yeah. that uh, nobody wants to do that unless, you know, they're in a program that requires that. Yeah. Um, but, yeah, there's, there's definitely... Different ways, I think, to, to try to have people help you understand that. And, and early um, on. Yeah, yeah, and then I think, you know, with the Internet nowadays where you can research. I mean, that, that's the other thing. When I was looking at colleges, we didn't have the Internet, you know, like we do today where you can go out and research everything about various colleges and, and what programs they're the best at um, and even what does this career mean. There, there's so much more stuff out online that students have access to today if they go digging for it and looking, you know, that you can learn a lot that way. I know um, at the time, you know, the the U.S. Uh, News and World Report where they rank colleges and the various programs. So, like, you know, at that time it was a magazine probably in the grocery store aisle or mm-hmm. Barnes & Noble. <laughs> so my mom would get those. And and so she, she'd always keep up on Iowa State because obviously that was her alma mater and said, yeah, Iowa State, you know, they, they score really well in business, so if you do decide you want to do business, that, that's a great school. And, and, of course, we looked at several colleges. I, I never felt forced to go there. But, but looking at, okay, what do you want to do, and then what schools are best in that, you know, what are, where are the stronger programs, because that's going to help with the marketability, too. Sure, and you, you know. start to build your network once you're yeah. in college. Well, yeah, that absolutely. Can be very important yeah. later on. Yeah, yeah, and Iowa State, you know, the College of Business has a great career office, and, um, you know, that was another thing that was really key to me is they really pushed, you got to do internships. I mean, it wasn't required, but they strongly urged it. And then they would pr- they'd have these workshops to help prepare us with writing our resume, with how you go um, to career fairs, how you send resumes to companies to, to get those internships. And so that, that was another thing, too, is, you know, if, if business is your thing, well, who's, who's great in business and do they have a very active career office to help guide students? Because without the career office having some of those connections, too, it's an added hurdle knowing, well, how do I connect with these companies versus one like Iowa State that has these connections and their career fairs are huge where all these companies come, um, you know, immediately at your fingertips, that part of the work's been done. And now it's a matter of I've got my resume ready and I'm going to go start handing it out and talking to these different companies. Yeah, so use the resources that Absolutely. are at your disposal, but you've got to lean into mm-hmm. it. You For know, sure. Yep, yeah, you got to be a self-starter yeah. in that sense and yep. uh, go after it and, and use the resources that, that are available. Mm-hmm.
we'll turn the tables on you a little bit, and I want you to think about, you know, you're, you're pretty new in your career relative to um, how long people work these days, but if you were sort of towards the end of your career, can you kind of talk about what you think people would say about you, the people that have known you and worked with you? Well, what would you want them to say about you? Well, first of all, um, you know, I'm a Christian, and I gave my life to the Lord at a, at a young age, and so that has shaped who I am as an individual, you know, my morals and my values and my ethics. And so, um, you know, first and foremost, I, I would hope people would see that in me in that, you know, part of, part of being a Christ follower is having love for people and compassion for people. And, um, you know, obviously we're all going to go through life where people are going to wrong us or, or do something that, um, you know, makes us angry or upset and having that forgiving spirit, you know, and, and again, realizing that some people do that maliciously, others do it unintentionally, but, um, we're all people, we're all human. We all make mistakes. None of us is perfect. And being able to extend grace and compassion to others when they mess up, just in the same way that as I've grown up, I've had people extend that same grace and compassion to me when I've been less than lovable and, and, uh, you know, not at my finest. So, you know, I would hope that as people look back at me that it wouldn't be so much about what I did, you know, my title or the fact that I was the president of Kinsey, but that I truly care about people. And, and um, you know, as, as, as owners, we see Kinsey as a way to, you know, obviously provide a great working environment for people to support their families. And um, so, Hopefully that's what people see today that as owners, you know, obviously we have a business to run and, and we have to make sure we're, we're all doing our very best at whatever our roles are because it takes all of us working together to make it successful, but in the same way that um, we do put our people first and that we care very much about them and, um, you know, when, when people are in need, you know, pointing them in the right direction on where they can get help, helping them along the way, whatever that might be. That, that's really what it, it's about for me as an owner is, you know, the, the investment and impact that I get to have in the lives of others. And for me, coming into the business as a, as a young person, I was 28 or 29, I think, when I came back to the business, so pretty young to be thrown into a role. You know, obviously I didn't have the president title when I first came back, but I was thrown into the role as an owner in the day-to-day -day and, and being actively involved in the day-to-day Obviously, you know, it's a humbling experience, too, realizing, wow, there's just so much I don't know. But one of the things that, that has been my dad's philosophy over the years is he's always said, you surround your people, yourself with people who know more than you do and who are experts in their fields. Because we, as owners, we don't need to know everything. I mean, you obviously, and then there's no way yeah. we can. Yeah. And, you know, obviously, we, we need to make sure we're running the business the best we can. We're utilizing our resources the best we can. But, you know, ultimately we're relying on those that we've hired in the organization to help us with um, what, what's the best thing to do. As we look at our five-year strategy, you know, that's a collaborative effort of, you know, everybody putting their heads together and saying we do a SWOT exercise and, you know, we look at where we've got opportunities and where we can do things better. Um, but really it's about uh, you surround yourself with the people and you get good solid advice and and you know you sometimes check that a couple different ways to make sure you're getting the best advice hopefully that's what people see is that that we want to be collaborative and that we care very much about people and and that that's what it's about for us versus having a 600 employee business and 
and great products. I mean, obviously, we're very proud of the products we have, very passionate about what we do, you know, in our part to help feed the world. Um, you have to believe in what mm-hmm. you do. It's really more about the people. And, and for me, I think I've got an interesting perspective, too, having grown up in the business. You know, obviously, my dad started the business, and it was just him as employee one, you know, back in the very beginning. Um, but for me to have grown up in the business, and so, you know, remember when I came out here as a kid and see different employees that are still here today, you know, it, it's kind of fun to, you know, Judy, you met her at the front mm-hmm. desk. She's been here, oh, at least 30 years, oh, you know. That's, so that's it, it's awesome. just, it's fun to have, yeah. and, you know, we, we laugh about Judy's the voice of Kinsey because our dealers and people that call in, they know Judy by her voice because she's been here and she has a very yeah. distinct, welcoming voice. And, you know, that's important too because that's people's first impression when they call the company is what voice do they get to answer on the other end. Mm-hmm. And if it's somebody that acts like they're having a bad day or they're not really motivated about their job, it kind of makes you think, oh, that's kind of interesting. You know, versus Judy, she's just always excited and enthusiastic and happy to greet everybody. Yeah, she's know? wonderful. So, she, yeah. <laughs> she is exactly that. <laughs> yep. Yeah. Awesome. So, you know, back to your original question, advice for, for women. One of the things that um, I've observed over the years, you know, we're, we're living in an interesting time in our culture where you hear a lot about, you may run into people, you may read about, but a lot of the, the women that are trying to, um, you know, climb to the top and uh, be successful in whatever career they do, and that, that is all great and commendable, absolutely, you know, as a female executive, I think women can make very great leaders. But something that turns me off as a female, as I work with other female, and I saw this some when I was at Caterpillar too, is when women get the notion that, well, I'm a woman and I got to prove to the men that I'm better than them. And they, they get almost disrespectful around the men that they are around and, and almost overbearing and obnoxious. And, you know, I, I think sometimes women they listen to our culture and think, well, that's the way I need to behave or I'm never going to be successful. And, you know, true success from, from my experience has been, and again, this is the way I was raised, is, you know, most jobs a woman can do just as great as a man can do and vice versa. But again, going back to our core value of respect, mutual respect is it's got to start with respect. You know, the same way men need to respect women, women need to respect men. And if if a man wants to open the front door when you walk in, don't get mad and say, no, I'm going to do that myself. But thank you. Thanks for holding open the door. That's not demeaning of a woman. That's, you know, a man being respectful of a woman. But unfortunately, our culture has turned that around to make women believe that, oh, somehow that's that's wrong to the point where men don't even know if they're supposed to hold open the door, you know, when a woman walks through anymore. And so I think um, telling women, and especially in our ag world, you know, the, the, the beauty of and the thing I love about agriculture is the down-to-earth people. You know, you, you deal with a lot of people with common sense, people with great values, and it, it really comes down to respecting others. And, it, and it's really no matter if you're male or female, but respect all, you know, and, and that's what we are called to do. And that doesn't mean we agree with everybody. It doesn't mean we have to like everybody, but being respectful goes a long way. And, and I think you know, people respect a woman, especially one that is, you know, in, in management and ascending through an organization, but one that can be respectful of all 
and very uh, reasonable and easy to work with and, and understandable from that standpoint versus trying to put on some front of something they're not. So if I were to give young girls advice, you know, going into the workforce is be who you are, you know, but, but you don't need to be overbearing and, and a forced personality and be respectful of others and, and use your God-given talents and, and you're probably going to be very successful no matter whether you're in management or not, whatever you do, if you remember those core things, it's going to go a long way, you know, and in, in, in having the work ethic to work hard and, and want to work for what you have versus be entitled and expect, well, you know, I'm here now, I've got my college degree, therefore I should have ABC. Well, that's not, <laughs> not, not how it works. works. <laughs> and, that's, and that's a turnoff in the workplace too, because we yeah. all, we all yeah. have to earn the experience and the talent and you don't, you don't, uh, exit college and then a year later become vice president or president of a company unless of course you go out and start your own but I, I think that's another thing young people um, maybe have not been given realistic understanding of you know time in the job and what's it mean to gain experience and and you know when you gain experience then people respect you mm -hmm. for for what you've done and then you have something to draw upon yeah. versus well now I'm in this role where I'm not really, don't really know what I'm doing. I'm feeling my way through. And, and then, you know, that's where it's going to be very difficult for someone that, that maybe has ascended too quickly and they're not, not ready for that. Because I think, too, uh, it's, it's interesting. A lot of people think being the owner of a company is really luxurious. And, oh, my gosh, you must make a lot of money and you must go on all these vacations and have this life of leisure, you know, and... And, you know, you're really not doing anything because the company's just making all the money for you so you can sit and put your feet on the sofa, you know. And, right. Yeah, and it's like, well, no, not at all. You know, some days you, you do a sanity check and say, why, why am, am I doing, doing this? this? But then you remember for the 1% the headache, there's the, you know, the 99% the that, uh, that make it all worthwhile. And I'm sure for you, you're thinking about every one of those 600 employees mm -hmm. and all of their families yeah. and how many people are counting on you to yeah. make the right decisions. And, and it is. You know, enormous. it's an enormous responsibility and in, in, a, in a time of consolidation, you know, where, mm -hmm. I mean, we've, we've had many offers on our company. And my dad, it, he's always said for some of the offers he's had over the years, people would tell him a fool that he was a fool for not taking it for what those offers were but you know it, it's never been about let's create this company so we can sell it and you know obviously um, at this point in time I feel very called to be in the business and the plan is that I'm taking this into the second generation and if you know if the day comes where it doesn't make sense to do that then you know obviously we'll do something different but at this point in time and for the foreseeable future this is what I feel called to do and very passionate about and so, you know, there's an enormous responsibility and need to be able to carry and sustain this into the future, even when my dad is gone and no longer here. And, and I think he's set us up well for that and that he's mentored a lot of our engineers. And so even though he's involved, he's not the one that today comes up with all the designs. I mean, he loves to work with them. He still comes up with some designs, but it's not dependent upon him as far as our, our, our ability to be successful in the future. And so... You know, he's he's leaving a great legacy for when he's not here, you know, and, and it is. It's an enormous responsibility, and, um, you know, I, I 
I don't take a lot of vacation a year. I probably should take more, but you know, when you're an owner, even even when I am on vacation, it, it's awfully hard to completely vacation. unplug because yeah. you know, again, the enormous responsibility and and so for me, you know, making sure I have some work-life balance, but at the same time, a business of this magnitude, you got to keep your eyes on the ball and and stay focused on it. And so from that that sense, it, it's not you know the the luxurious side that some people think it is. Um, you know, obviously you're you're in business to make a profit and have a great product, but there's a lot. Uh, you know, as the as the Bible verse goes, to whom much is given, much responsibility is also given you know and that you're responsible for a lot and uh, and we got to be good stewards of what we have and and carry this into the future so so let's talk maybe a little bit about what you're seeing out on the horizon in agriculture and you'd mentioned a couple times the consolidation that's happening and it's definitely interesting times Mm -hmm. of course in in ag Um, what are you either most concerned about or, or what do you see as opportunity out there you know in this uh, era of obviously technology is the future and technology changes very rapidly so we have to stay abreast on what's happening environmentally and what do we need to uh, have as Kinsey solutions you know whether it's product whether it's electronics whatever that might be um, there's still a lot of opportunity you know here in the US and globally for you know we make planters and grain carts and now tillage we just announced the the new mock till um, but planters is is the majority of our business um, and there's a lot of growth opportunity uh, we've got our Lithuania office and manufacturing facility in Vilnius Lithuania and that serves Eastern Europe Europe and Russia and those markets um, are really growing and you know Kinsey was the first planter into Russia non-Russian planter back in the 80s We've enjoyed a great brand reputation and, and, you know, many years of being a known product. And now that we've got the local production, we're able to really grow. You know, when, when you're exporting and, and years ago we were working through a distributor, that just, it, you're limited. But at the time when the business was growing so rapidly here, there just wasn't enough of us to, to go around to do both. So you kind of crawl, walk, run, and, and that's what made sense to get things off the ground. So now we've got the manufacturing facility, the dealer network. For us, it's about looking at our core markets of what we do and what we do well, looking at opportunities that make sense. Um, we survey our dealers annually, and we're constantly asking them, what do you need from Kinsey in terms of products? If Kinsey were to get into another product line, what would you want to see? And for us too to diversify our business we've always said you know we don't want to go out and recreate another dealer network we we, we want to bring more products that uh, are available through our current dealer network if it if it's something that involves dealer network that's where we've been hearing from them the last couple years tillage and then as we really started uh, segmenting out the tillage market and understanding which one is the the growth one and this high-speed disc that, that we have is the one that's really growing and, and been growing in double digits, you know, from our information from uh, the last couple of years. Um, so that made sense for us. And when we announced it, and, uh, you know, that that's an example of we said, who's out there, we can bring something to market faster if we can license and brand something versus develop our own. And um, as we did our research, Degelman came to the top of our list and they had so much demand for their product that they weren't able to keep up with it. And of course, 
their dealer network is mainly in Canada. They've been developing it here in the U.S., but they realize the value we have in an established dealer network with over 250 dealers in you know the Corn Belt, and and that's obviously where their product really shines is is what we would call our Corn Belt across the Midwest, and so they instantly had access with their product now to all of our dealers through the relationship that we have with them. So our dealers were very excited when we announced that because they've been asking for that. And those that have been really engaged in tillage understand that this is the segment that's growing and, and that this is a great product. Some of our dealers had had prior exposure to the Pro-Till, which is Degelman's version of, of their product, the yellow version, if you will. And uh, they were very excited then to see that we were doing the same thing with the Kinsey-branded so are you also product. able to help them out on the manufacturing side? Yep, we'll be doing some manufacturing for them. We'll be making some yellow products for them. And then, of course, we'll, we'll eventually we'll, we'll ramp up. But over the next year, then, we'll be making all the blue mock till, the different mm -hmm. sizes of mock till products. So, you know, again, that was an example where we said, okay, we as, as we look at the down ag market, and as we put together our strategic five-year plan a couple years ago, we said, you know, the ag market hit the, the, you know, obviously we had this five-year run of just unprecedented high in the market, you know, and corn prices were never, never seen before, you know, seven, eight dollar corn. And then we all knew that that couldn't be sustained. But what we didn't know is when it, when it crashed, if you will, it, it came down hard and fast. That's where we said, okay, we, we need to really diversify because it, as hard as it crashed, it's not just going to be our typical two two year up, two year down. You know, over our 53 years of business, my dad's always been used to. You have a couple good years, a couple not so good years, but they were never wide swings. So, from a resource standpoint, we would always plan in the factory where we'd run lean, and then we'd work overtime in the good years. So when the down swings came, we didn't have to lay people off. Versus, you know, this was a very wide swing. So. One of the things we said we're going to do is we're going to really work to diversify our business. So we've announced the, the mock till. Um, we, we've also, I mentioned we brought our electronics in-house, and we've got our hardware software user interface team that creates the electronics for planners. Well, we're also selling products and services into other industries out of that uh, group, our Kinsey Electronics group. So we're commercializing what we have, if you will. And so... That's a great way now to get us diversified outside of ag. It doesn't require a dealer network the way that works. Um, and so it's not, you know, something where it was intense of we got to go set up all these dealers, but we just work with different large suppliers of product, if you will. We're selling them hardware. We're selling them software. And, you know, the, the Internet of Things, if you've ever read up on that, you know, that's the coming segment now of, you know, really a, a lot of growth and um, opportunities. And so we're saying, okay, we want to capitalize on that with the team that we have because we've got such a great team of talent. And a lot of the things we're designing can be used on more than just planners. And it's, you know, also a great way to continue to fund what we do with the electronics, not only from the, the monetary standpoint, but it also keeps our team fresh with what's going on out there so we can have the, the, the cutting edge technology when it makes sense as we continue to develop our electronics for our Kinsey products. Yeah, anytime you develop something like that, it's 
like having a child, you know, mm-hmm. it's always out there. You always have to maintain yeah. it and yep. put out new versions and keep it refreshed yeah. and, and, and Especially with technology, it can't, yeah. it, it goes stagnant much more quickly than, you know, years ago you could have a mechanical solution that can run 15, 20 years. You know, we've got some models of planners that have had a very long run and that's fine. You make little updates and, and tweaks along the way, but technology, you yeah. don't get that kind of run. You got to constantly world. refresh. But that's opportunity. That's right. That's right. If you're willing to commit to it. Well, thank you. Wonderful answers and wonderful advice for our audience. And I appreciate that very much. I especially appreciate you sharing your faith. That's really special. That that you just see so much of that permeate everything that you are doing here at Kinsey. So that's really really a testament. Thank you. Really wonderful. So yeah, well, that's it's all about impacting the lives of others. That's that's absolutely. what's important to us. Is any way we can do that. So absolutely, thank well, you for the opportunity. You have impacted the lives of our our young audience. We really appreciate that. Yeah, well, thank you, and it's it's great to see uh, young people with the enthusiasm, and you know, I, I think that's one thing. Again, I mentioned earlier with ag, there's that work ethic and that enthusiasm that you just don't see from other teenagers that that come outside of ag. So we're we're very blessed to be in this industry where a lot of kids are taught work ethic and the value yeah. of working hard and and passionately pursuing career that's ag related. Many many kids that grow up on a farm want to maintain that heritage and yeah. do something in the ag field. So I think it's great that young people have that interest because obviously the farms number of farms are shrinking. So to have young people want to go back and be involved, and yes, it's a lot of hard work, but it's very rewarding to to be a part of a family farm operation. Absolutely. I always say if you've been picking rocks, put that on your resume because (laughs) for the right audience, they understand exactly what that means and and your willingness to work no matter what it takes. Well, thank you, Susie, very, very much for this interview and appreciate it. Yeah. And thank you, Spark Audience, and we hope you'll tune in next time. That's Spark for today. Thanks for listening, and we hope you'll tune in for the next episode. To learn more about Paulson, please visit paulson.ag. That's P-A-U-L-S-E-N dot A-G.